0: Oh, Good morning, guys. I'm like, glad that you're here on a beautiful weekend like this. I know it's been hot, but man, has it been really beautiful out, hasn't it? I know I've got a little bit of sun. I think Rachel's peeling a bit more than I am. But um, we, we have a sermon series that I think kind of goes along with the weather that we started last week, and it's called Earth, Dirt, Gardens, Finding God in the Extraordinary Ordinary. And I opened it last week by talking about how gardens are used metaphorically throughout the Bible about how the garden is a symbol of what God's presence on earth looks like, that it's a place where the connections between God and humans and nature are independent and harmonious. And we talked about how gardens represent sacred space and that the story of the Garden of Eden at the very beginning of Scripture tells us that the earth is a temple and that we humans are the priests of this earth temple. And then how later in scripture we read that our bodies also are garden temples and entire people groups are garden temples. And in fact, all of creation is meant to be a garden temple created to hold the presence of a God called love. And then we talked a little bit about how the Garden of Eden story tells us that things went awry. And instead of producing good things for the world, that we humans threw things out of balance by some of the choices that we've made. And that we became disconnected from God and each other and from ourselves and from nature. And how the spiritual quest of being human is the quest to rediscover this metaphorical Eden. Of finding ways that help us restore that harmony between God and nature and humans. Now there isn't a really great word in English to describe this kind of congruity that the garden temple imagery evokes for us in scripture. But we've got some friends in Africa, our Bantu-speaking friends, who have a word for it, and they call it Ubuntu. So at a conference that I was attending a couple of weeks ago, um, the Reverend Naomi Tutu was there, and she's the daughter of Archbishop Desmond Tutu of South Africa. And she was talking to us about the sub-Saharan Bantu concept of Ubuntu that informed her father's theology and that shaped his creation of the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that followed apartheid in South Africa. And she said, Ubuntu means something to the effect of, I am because you are. Or I am because we are. And it's a belief that there's a universal bond that connects all of humanity and all of nature. And so Reverend Naomi, she told a story about her childhood. And she talked about how she grew up in a village and that she had several siblings and she also had lots of cousins that were you know, roughly her age. And so every night they would share a meal together. And being the youngest of all of them, she said she didn't even know which kids were her actual siblings until her parents moved to London for a brief amount of time and she realized that she had cousins who couldn't come with them. And she said that when they would gather around the table together to eat every night, she said the tradition of her tribe was to take a large bowl of food and they would hand it to the oldest child. And then they would say to the oldest child, you are human because they are human. You are human because they are human. And what this was meant to communicate was, you're the oldest and you're presumably the strongest. And you have the capability to take more than your fair share and you can deprive the smaller children of their food. But you have to remember that your very humanity depends on their survival and how you treat them. And so if you deprive them of food and you take more than your fair share, then you've deprived yourself of your own humanity. You harm yourself when you harm others. And she said, this is teaching Ubuntu. And we talked last week about how the gospel writers suggest that being connected to a divine spirit called love, whom we Christians believe manifest in Jesus... That being connected to that divine spirit is a path to Ubuntu, to helping us restore Eden on earth. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to press into this idea of connection to love just a little bit more this morning, and we're going to use John chapter 15 as our text. So I'm going to start by just reading the first eight verses of that chapter, and this is Jesus speaking to his closest friends or his disciples. He says, I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, and apart from me you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you will bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So to begin here, we see once again we have this imagery of God as a gardener tending to his garden. Right? And in this case, it's Jesus into other humans. Now, recently, I think I, I shared last week, I've taken to flower gardening. It's like a pretty serious hobby. And one of my dreams for our backyard is to have a climbing rose bush that I can train that will produce just tons and tons of roses. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of like, fences or trellises that just like are falling over with roses. Well, we've got, we've got like a wooden fence all around our backyard, and so my dream is that we're going to have just tons and tons of roses that can serve as the backdrop to our yard. But if you've ever tried to, to grow climbing roses, you know they can get out of control pretty quickly. And so you have to prune them, and you have to keep them from taking over the yard. And to keep them producing good flowers, you have to, to prune them back regularly. Because we all know it's not that much fun to have um, you know, a big thorn bush that's just full of a bunch of thorny branches with no flowers which is what Rachel and I had in our side yard for a while. So I planted this climbing rose bush that I wanted just a couple of weeks ago. And what I've been learning is that there are main vines or you know, main canes that come up and then you have to take those and you have to train them to grow horizontally. So you've got like these main canes that you, you train to grow like against your fence or your trellis like that. And then it's from those vines that you'll have the more lateral vines that come up. And it's those fast growing ones that grow up that actually produce the flowers. And so, I went up and down our fence for quite a few panels, and I screwed in a whole bunch of hooks. It was really tedious work, and I've wrapped up a whole bunch of wire, and I've, I've made it so that I can try and climb those horizontal vines to start to grow all around our yard. You know, because if I can do that, then I can maximize that lateral vine growth. But to do that, I also have to trim away all the other branches. So you get it down pretty thin. You train them back, the ones that are like just sticking out awkward, the ones that are going to like poke you when you try and go in. I've got to trim back the branches that are dead and diseased. I even learned that I have to train back the ones that are like just crossing. Those of you who are gardeners know this. This was news to me. Like branches that are crossing rub against each other and so they can create a wound that can allow disease to come in and so you just cut them off. And then once a year, I need to prune even those flowering branches. I have to prune them really hard all the way down so that they'll continue to give an abundance of flowers next year. And so I think what we see here in the Gospel of John is Jesus is comparing himself to one of those main vines, right? He's comparing himself to one of those vines that grows horizontally and from which those vertical vines then can grow up and they can produce all of the flowers or fruit. He's saying he's like the source and we're the flowering branches, And he says his vine is love. He is love and we're connected to him in love. He says in verse nine, now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands to remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then Jesus goes on to say that when we don't remain connected to love and producing beauty, that God the gardener, he can prune those parts of us. Now, when I was a kid, I remember I used to pray to God every night that God would forgive me of every bad thing I had done that day. I don't know if any of you guys had that kind of terrible psychological like battle, but, and I had this fear that if I didn't name off every little bad thing that I thought that I had done that day, that if I died in my sleep, something really bad might happen to me. And so I wanted to make sure I'd ask forgiveness for everything that I had done. Now, clearly I don't believe that anymore, and I certainly don't want any of our kids to grow up believing that. But because of my faith background, I think when I read scriptural passages about like pruning off bad things about me, I have a little bit of like an instinctual reflex that causes me to feel a little bit anxious. And I'm hoping that you don't have that, but I would bet that at least a few of you grew up like overly concerned about whether or not you were sinning or whether or not you were quote unquote holy enough for God. You know, I was once in a workshop and there were two pastors that were leading this workshop. And they the way they presented things is they asked three people to come up and to stand in a, a little circle and hold hands. And they said, okay, these three people here are the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then they wrapped the Trinity with a white sheet. They told them to hold it around them. And then they asked somebody else to come up. And they wrapped that person in a black sheet. And they said that person represented like sinful humans. And just as an aside, I think there are racial undertones to using white to represent like goodness and purity and black to represent badness and evil and impurity. You know, that I think we Christians need to be cautious about and to get away from. But that aside, these pastors, they then instructed the man who was wrapped in black sheet to start to slowly approach God. And as soon as that person's shoulder was like touching the outside sheet, we were told that there was like an explosion that happened. And the sinful human was blown away from God because God's holiness couldn't handle the evil of the human. And as I watched it, I just thought, this isn't what Jesus teaches at all. Like, When Jesus, those of us who are Christian, we confess Jesus as both human and divine. When Jesus came to the earth, if Jesus was divine, he wasn't going around like blasting people away and blasting away every person who touched them because they weren't holy enough. Not even the people you might think we would repel away. But it was completely the opposite. Jesus went around deliberately touching, like literally touching all of the people that other people might think were unclean or evil or sinful, right, in order to show that they were actually worthy and that they weren't unclean. And this is why I actually think it's helpful in here that Jesus says in verse three of the chapter that we read in John, he says, you're already clean because of the word I spoke to you. And for me, I think it's like he's assuring his audience that this passage isn't about being like good enough to be part of the vine. It's not saying if you're not holy enough, God's going to cut you off. This isn't about our salvation. It's not about our worthiness before God or our belonging. Jesus says, it's like, just so we're clear, you're already clean because of the word that I've spoke to you. I think this passage is about getting the most beauty out of us. It's about getting us to produce the best fruit, the tastiest, the finest, the most nutritious fruit for the world. Later he says... If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. And such branches are picked up and they're thrown into a fire and burned. I know I've got a burn pile that's about literally this tall. Rachel, our first marital rule was I'm not allowed to use the gasoline tank to (laughs) burn those anymore. Not. I mean, maybe it happened once. I, well, I mean, I grew up in the country, and so I, mean, I kind of learned how to do it so it wouldn't explode the camp. But, but that's a whole, yeah. I, it's, it's understandable. It's totally, <laughs> it's totally cool. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> right? But anytime you're trimming things, like, you, you know, you have a little burn pile that you go and you burn. And I think it's not, like, if you're not good enough, God's going to cut you off and throw you away and burn you. But the language here is you're like a branch that withers. Right? And that's not warning us that we're going to burn in hell if we don't love Jesus, which is what I think some people were taught to read that verse that way. I was. But I think the verse is telling us that anything we do apart from love, those parts of us that develop out of fear and out of selfishness and so on that are not producing good fruit and flowers, saying those parts are as useless to us and to the world as dying branches. And we might as well throw those parts of us into a fire for all of the good that they do for our connections. And if we want to be the best that we've been created to be, then we want to be attentive to all of the parts of us being rooted in love, right? And the develop in ways that can allow us to thrive. John 15, 10 to 13, now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love just as I kept my father's commands and I lay, remain in his love. I told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be complete. Not, I told you this to scare the living daylights out of you. I've told you this so that my joy might be in you. And that your joy might be complete. Right? He's wanting to multiply our joy in life. Here's the path to joy. Right? So, I'm the kind of person, I like to, like, get tasks done. And I get satisfaction by, like, you know, like, ticking things off of a list. Do we have anybody else in here like that? Probably a few. I know it's like a little personality thing. And in pastoring, you know, we, we create a lot of our own job structure. And so I usually have two running lists that are, that are going for me. I have one with, like, short-term tasks that need to be done, like, this week. And then I have one that has, like, long-term projects that I can make sure that I'm moving forward, right? Even if they take a little while. And so knowing this, this thing about myself, when Rachel and I, when we moved into our house a few years ago, I knew that I was going to really enjoy the yard work. So if you, I don't, some of you have been to our house. We just have like a city lot in Ipsy. It's not like an enormous thing. But for a city lot, we actually have a pretty big, lush backyard. And I was feeling good about like, oh, I can keep, I can keep the yard mowed. I'll enjoy being out there and, and keeping the hedges trimmed. But I was feeling a little bit hesitant about the flower beds. And I think it's because I had in my mind that I wasn't sure like how to make me feel like they'd be done. And it was like, I didn't know how to put the upkeep into a list that I could just keep checking off because the weeds just come. I mean, I weeded yesterday and they're already back this morning. You know, like mowing the lawn, I can check that off every week. And then Rachel turned me on to a couple of shows, a couple of gardening shows that I think I mentioned last week, a couple of British gardening shows. So we're talking like, you know, some people watch golf. I watch gardening shows, (laughs) big dreams, small spaces, gardener's world. And for me, gardener's world was like taking a whole bunch of master classes in gardening. Like I never would have been interested before, but now I'm like, oh, I've got to figure out how to trim a (laughs) foxglove, right? So from these two shows, I started to realize that I was approaching gardening with the wrong attitude and that I was really going to need like a perspective shift if I was going to enjoy it. Now some of you probably, you know, if you've got green thumbs, you already know this, but something inside me had to kind of click for me to realize that flower gardens, and especially like the really free-flowing cottage garden um, flower beds that I really enjoy, they're never done, right? It's it's not something that you ever complete. And you never get all the weeds out, and you never don't have tasks, and the garden is just ever-evolving. And it's something that in fact you do for decades. And that you allow things to kind of like self seed It's like we bought some things that should hopefully spread. And if they spread to places you don't want, well, you pick them up and you move them or you give them away and you start to shape things based on their color and the texture and the height and even the smell, the aroma of it. I've been thinking a lot about like what the smells of the backyard would be like. And so you're like experimenting and it's a work in progress. And like this spring, Rachel and I, we bought two big trays of snapdragons which I didn't know what were, I didn't know what snapdragons were before this year. So if you don't know, don't worry. And when we bought them, they hadn't bloomed. And I really thought that they were one tray of white and one tray of a really light pink, which went with the, the color scheme that I was going for. But when those snapdragons bloomed, wouldn't you know, one of them is bubblegum pink, like hubba-bubba bubblegum pink. And the other one is neon yellow, like the brightest yellow flower I have ever seen in my life. And suddenly they weren't like fitting in with the color scheme of the rest of the garden that I had carefully planned. And so my first instinct was to just be disappointed and to feel a little bit helpless to change it. Like, well, that task is done. We bought them. We planted them. They're an annual. I guess we'll figure it out next year. And then Rachel just looked at me and she's like, well, let's just move them. Oh, oh yeah. I've been watching gardening shows. It's not that hard. You just dig it up and move it. So we took all of those plants, and we moved them to a bed, and I just thought, man, that was just so empowering to be able to just make a little change, and I won't buy bubblegum pink next year, and it'll be fine. And so this man that they call Britain's gardener, that's the host of these shows I've been watching, his name's Monty Don, like, wouldn't you love a name like Monty Don? <laughs> and what he says in his British accent is, if you're not having fun, you're not doing it Right? And so I started to learn that if flower gardening was going to be enjoyable for me, that I can't make it about the fun of like checking things off of lists. And I might still have those in my head, but more like the process is the point, right? It's the process of just being outside and getting my hands dirty and the fact that there's always something that you can go out and do and tweak and that you can shape this garden knowing that it will never be done and that that's the fun of it. And for some reason, there was something about that that was just so freeing for me that I had a hobby that doesn't actually have an end. Like, I, I'm a, like, I'm a painter. And so for me, there's always a canvas. You know, you've got like a finished product. And with this, there's no finished product, it's just ever going. And so, as I've been working outside in the flower beds this, this spring, I've been meditating on the wisdom of the Bible, comparing our spiritual connectedness and our spiritual health to a garden. Right, the idea that we're ever-evolving and that we're always going to have weeds. And if we're not having fun, we're not doing it right. And if God is, in fact, like a good gardener, then God is really relaxed about the process of helping us to bear beauty and to discover joy. And I was so uptight about getting like the weeds just gone, but good gardeners know that just weeds are always there. And you can control them somewhat, and you do want to be rid of the really invasive ones because they'll keep the flowers that you love from becoming their best, right? But some weeds will always just sit right alongside the flowers, and still everything is gorgeous. And I was trying to think, like, more practically, like, what 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 does this mean? And I thought, well, you know, something like an addiction might be like an invasive weed if you've struggled with an addiction, you know that it can, it can really choke out certain really beautiful aspects of your life that you want to address for your own good, right? So that you thrive and you can be the best that you can be and that you can repair disconnections that have resulted. But that just because that weed is there doesn't mean you're not a beautiful garden. And it doesn't mean that the gardener doesn't enjoy you and love you and want to spend time with you. that the gardener steps back and just says, you know what, it's a work in progress and it's beautiful. So it's not like that workshop that I attended where like God was just gonna blast away any weed and just avoid imperfect gardens. I think the picture that Jesus paints lets us relax a little into our spirituality and to think about it as good for us. To think about it as a long-term project that won't ever be complete and that, yes, we have weeds, but some of them will never go away completely, and we're still a rich garden. And how does Jesus tell us that we can bear this good fruit and these flowers that he wants us? How can we avoid growing those dead branches? Well, he says, by remaining in love. Okay, well, how do we remain in love? Well, by loving each other, right? He said, that's my command, love each other. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my command, you'll remain in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commands and I remain in his love. I've told you this so that your joy, my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. My command is this. What is it? How do we keep your command? Love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Right? His answer is sacrificial love. Ubuntu. It's the kind of love that recognizes that our humanity depends on us recognizing the humanity of others. It's the kind of love that knows that denying beds and soap and toothbrushes to undocumented immigrants harms our own humanity. It's love that guides us to treat other people exactly the way that we ourselves would want to be treated. Right? That love becomes our north star and that becomes our guide. And the next question might be okay, well, how do we know if we're operating in love? I think the Apostle Paul captures it in a way that has resonated with humans for centuries. In the first letter of the Corinthians, he says, Love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it's not self seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Or Paul's answer to the question, how do I know if what I'm doing is from the Spirit of God? We heard Cassie read it this morning from Galatians. Well, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I think those are pretty good measuring sticks to help us determine if what we're doing, is it stemming from love or is it stemming from fear or from selfishness? And if what we're doing stems from fear or selfishness, we might help ask God to help us prune that back in our lives so that we can live more fully and joyfully. Now, I didn't put this in my notes, but I was thinking on my way here, I thought, one of the little tips in one of those gardening shows that was helpful to me was somebody who had a really lush garden said, just spend 20 minutes a day going around and deadheading the flowers. And that means just like taking off the ones that have already blossomed or withered. Because if you'll deadhead them, you'll continue to get more flowers throughout the season. And I thought, gosh, that's so practical. And there is like a real spiritual application to that. Like if we want to bear more flowers, I mean, there are time-tested spiritual disciplines that we have within the church. 20 minutes is a pretty easy, like spend 20 minutes meditating. Take a 20-minute walk and meditate on nature and your relationship with God, just 20 minutes reading some scripture, like these are ways that help us connect to God. I'm going to leave us with a a quote from the Archbishop Desmond Tutu, where he's describing this concept of Ubuntu. He said, Ubuntu speaks of the very essence of being human. We say, hey, so-and-so has Ubuntu. Well, if that's true, then you're generous and you're hospitable and you're friendly and you're caring and you're compassionate and you share what you have. It is to say, my humanity is caught up. It's inextricably bound up in yours. That we belong in a bundle of life together. We say a person is a person through other persons. A person with Ubuntu, he says, is open and available to others, affirming of others, doesn't feel threatened that others are able and good. For they have proper self-assurance that comes from knowing that they belong in a greater whole and that you're diminished when others are humiliated or diminished and when others are tortured or oppressed or treated like they're less than who they are. And I think that is a beautiful way to capture what the scripture is trying to tell us with the garden. So with that, we're going to have a little time here of meditation. We like to have two or three minutes of either silence or guided meditation, I think we'll do a little bit of, I'll do a little bit of guiding, but we're going to do quite a lot of just sitting with, with God today. So just get comfortable, take a couple deep breaths. And as you do so, just imagine yourself in the garden that feels the most beautiful and relaxed to you. And maybe you're sitting in the shade with a good cold lemonade. And if you have a pet you love, maybe your pet is there with you. And just make yourself comfortable in that space. And As you sit there, just sit in that idea that you also are like a garden, and we're just going to sit and allow ourselves to just feel the the love of Jesus or God, however it is that you understand God, the spirit of love. Just feel yourself for all you are, all of your weeds, maybe maybe you're feeling really um, just kind of dry, like you've been in a big drought, for all that that is. I just want to invite us to to just feel that spirit of love just telling us, you're beautiful. Just where you're at. I love you. Had a little nudge this morning in worship that may or may not have been anything, but just um, a little, uh, not just, some, some of us here might feel a little bit like, uh, like we've been feeling a little disconnected from this, from kind of God or from church, and some of it might stem from like, a, like an abusive or a bad church experience, and for some of you it might be um, because of depression or just life has been crazy, and you've been feeling a little bit bad about it. And it was just this sense that Jesus was like, it's okay, we're fine. And it's from this place of just knowing that we are completely loved and that God looks at the weeds and all of us and says, you're still a beautiful garden. It's from this place of trust and of complete love where we can then offer ourselves to this good gardener and say, if, if there's anything that is causing me to, to, from having joy, from keeping joy, um, I invite you to prune that. So I'm just going to pray that. So Jesus, we just thank you that we are fully loved as we are, and we thank you that you're relaxed about our belonging. (laughs) And Lord, I, I ask that you would bring healing to people for whom they've been feeling like they don't belong because of this or that or they feel this pressure or anxiety about um, not having done enough to be connected to you. Lord, I just ask that you would breathe more joy into our lives and that you would help us enter into this relationship or this spiritual quest of being more connected to you from a place of just experiencing the tremendous grace. That if we're, if we're not having fun or if it's not producing joy, then we're not doing it right. From that place, Lord, we invite more of your spirit and more of your love, and I ask that you would help us to be like those flowering branches that remain connected and rooted in love. And I ask for your blessing on all of us as we go forward this week. Amen. Amen.